Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast. The This Is It. Make no mistake where you are. This is it. You're going no further. Edition. As we look ahead to Sunday's season finale at Paul Brown Stadium between the 1-14 Bengals and the 6-9 Cleveland Browns. Coming up, we'll hear from Andy Dalton on what could be his final game in a Bengals uniform. Dave Lapham and I will weigh in on that. Plus, now that the Bengals have clinched the number one pick in the draft, we'll share some thoughts on the quarterback that many people expect Cincinnati to select, Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow from LSU. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll discuss the Browns and the future of first-year head coach Freddie Kitchens with Zach Jackson, who covers the team for The Athletic. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since board games. In this high-tech, you can do anything on your phone world, sometimes it's nice to play a traditional board game. This Christmas, my son received a game called Ticket to Ride as a gift. There's a board with a big map of the U.S., some plastic train cars, and cards. That's it. No joystick, no Wi-Fi required. It's an old-school board game, and it's awesome. And I don't just say that because I dominated our family's first attempt to play. So, here's to Monopoly, Scrabble, Munchkin, and all of the great board games out there that are awesome for the first few days after Christmas until they wind up in a closet until next Christmas. Now let's get to Sunday's football game at Paul Brown Stadium. There's a real possibility that Andy Dalton will play in his 137th and final game in a Bengals uniform on Sunday. It's not definite. He's under contract for one more season at $17.5 million. And here are the possibilities. A. If the Bengals draft Joe Burrow or another quarterback number one overall, they could keep Andy as a veteran mentor to help the rookie's adjustment to the NFL. B. The Bengals select a QB number one overall and trade Dalton for a draft pick, which seems like the most likely outcome if they can get a good enough deal. Or C, the Bengals could look at, say, Chase Young as the only sure thing in the draft and keep Dalton for at least one more season as the starting quarterback. If Sunday's game is Andy's last in orange and black, he'll leave quite a legacy. He's completed more passes and thrown more TDs than any other quarterback in franchise history. And if he leads the Bengals to a win on Sunday, he'll have the highest winning percentage of any Bengals quarterback to start at least 25 games. If the team loses on Sunday, Andy will fall to number two behind Ken Anderson. Andy and his wife JJ have also been incredibly giving of their time and resources to needy families in the Cincinnati area through their foundation. Here's Andy on the potential of this being his final game as a Cincinnati Bengal. I understand the possibility of it. Um, so, I mean, we'll have to wait and see once the season's over and see it, see what happens. But it's obviously not my focus right now. Um, and I, like I said, I understand the situation that, uh, that, that I'm in. And so um, I'm trying to go out and play the best game I can play. 
like I said, I want to finish this thing off the right way. I want to finish this thing uh, off with a win for this team. And um, so doing everything I can to uh, make sure we play well on Sunday. It's, it's not the end of my career. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, our, a lot of our life has been here in Cincinnati. And again, we we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, and um, I have to wait and see after the season for all that to get handled. But um, you know, a big part of our life has been here, and um, you know, we've made Cincinnati our home, and uh, you know, we've grown up. You know, our family's grown up together. JJ and I have. You know, spent our whole married life here, like three kids, like you said. So, it's been the city's been a big part of our life. There's a lot of good people here in Cincinnati, and there's a lot of people that are willing to, you know, to help others. And I think, uh, you know, kind of once we started our foundation and kind of started some of the things that, that that we've been doing, there's a lot of people that hopped on board just because they're they're willing to serve and willing to, um, you know, give to those in need. And so. I think there was an instant connection there, and then we were just trying to be as involved as we can and try to help out in so many different ways. And so, um, I think I just—you can't do it by yourself. You have to have support from a lot of people, and we've had a lot of support from the city. That was the one thing that that we wanted to do when we first got here. Is we wanted to make sure that we were all in, and we were—we've been all in to, to Cincinnati since we got here. And uh, hopefully, people see that. Um, you know, I've—I've I've received a lot of support throughout throughout my years here. And um, again, we'll have to wait and see how, how this whole thing ends up. Oddly enough, before Andy takes the field on Sunday, we could all be watching his successor on Saturday when LSU faces Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl as Joe Burrow looks to lead the Tigers to the national championship game against Ohio State or Clemson. In this week's conversation with Dave Lapham, we start with the current favorite to be the number one pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. I am now thinking that I'm on the Joe Burrow train, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback out of LSU. He completed 78% of his passes this year through for nearly 5,000 yards, 48 touchdown passes, six interceptions. He's a leader. The intangibles are off the charts. The one negative when you talk to football people that have seen him is that they say he has what they describe as an average plus arm. That's what's said about Joe Montana coming out mm-hmm. of Notre Dame when he was drafted in the third round. It was the arm strength was the question, not the football IQ, not the decision-making, you know, nothing from an intangible standpoint, but they were worried about his arm. And, uh, you know, when you, when you talk to a lot of quarterbacks, quarterback coaches, people familiar with the position, the biggest thing is throwing with the anticipation and accuracy. You have to be a straight-A player. And his accuracy, my gosh, in the SEC to be completing almost 80% of your passes? Man, it's shit is. And uh, so he has to be throwing with some anticipation to have those kind of completion numbers. So I think he might be one of those straight-A guys who's got to do a little bit more look, you know, research into, you know, how he plays. But the thing that every uh, team that's having success now, not just the Jacksons of the world where there's, you know, just one of those kind of guys – but quarterbacks that can extend and create plays and make it impossible for guys in the back end to cover long enough. The Mahomeses of the world, um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, at his, he's still doing it. Those guys that can do that, get out of pocket and buy time, um, they're valuable. And Burrow's athletic. He, he can do it. I mean, he's, he's shown that in the SEC. He's uh, spun away from people. He's not afraid to, uh, you know, step up in the pocket, climb the pocket, hit a rush lane that's vacated, get yards. 
Um, he's got probably, I bet people are going to be surprised to see his times at the combine, how fast he is and what his shuttle is and all those kind of things because this guy's an all-state basketball player. I mean, you do basketball. You know the athletes that are on the basketball court. In my opinion, NBA players are the best athletes in the world. And these guys are ridiculous. And, you know, he's, he's athletic. So I, I'm pretty much sold. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see him Saturday night against Ohio State because uh, all the people here in Ohio are going to be, you know, highly interested and keenly interested in that football game because they think sun rises and sets on, on Buckeyes, offense, defense, or whatever, see if the defense can do anything with Joe Burrow. We don't know for sure how things are going to play out next year, but it certainly feels like there's a strong possibility that this is going to be Andy Dalton's last game in a Bengals uniform. Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, I think he's handled everything with class. No surprise there. Um, He was raised right. He's a man of faith, and his faith is the strongest thing in his life, obviously, and he he does things the right way. Um, And honestly, he's had a great career. I mean, when you look at him leading uh, the Bengals statistically in a lot of passing areas, considering the quarterbacks that have been here, and I know it's different eras and throw the ball a heck of a lot more and all those things, but he's he's done a good job for this franchise on and off the football field. His foundation has had a huge impact uh, here in, in the state of Ohio and uh, in the state of Texas as well. So he's done he's done a lot of uh, of really unbelievable things, and you know it's 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 a uh, I'm sure it'll be bittersweet for him. And if they particularly if they go and beat the Cleveland Browns and he has a big game, and uh, that that's what you hope for. You hope that it goes out on, on the highest note possible. And, you know, like about a three-touchdown, 300-yard performance, uh, no interceptions. Baker Mayfield has some turnovers. He doesn't. And they win the football game and, and, and potentially rides off into the sunset, you know, in a very, very positive way. I, I hope that works out for him. I mean, that would be the Hollywood script as such. And I think he deserves that. So I'm hopeful that, uh, that it does turn out that way for him because he's given everything he's got, you know, to the organization. And, and I think he's as stunned as anybody that uh, in training camp, watching him operate in training camp when he had most of his bodies available to him. Um, and even before that, no TAs and mini camps. I was like, man, this, is gonna, this offense fits Andy Dalton's skill set. A.J. Green's going to have a big year. I mean, all these guys are going to have to play well. Man just unfolded the football gods couldn't have been more cruel this year for sure it's funny how things have gone with him during his first five years when they went to the playoffs every season and that in that fifth year where he was a legitimate MVP candidate it seemed like people were like he's good he's not good enough and now that it appears that it might be winding down there's a different feeling among Bengals fans of well we had it pretty good yeah it's uh, careful what you wish for you know um you don't really miss it until you really do miss it, you know. Um, you don't really know what you have until you don't, all those things. Uh, Andy Dalton um, was amazing to me that when he first said, when he lost his third game in a row one season as Bengal, it's like this new experience. I've never lost three in a row at any level. Youth, youth sports, high school, college, and the NFL. I'm like, wow. When you think about that, in any and all sports that you participated in, They've never lost three games in a row. That tells you that, you know, it's not every single time. It can't be the team. You must be a factor in the in the uh, formula that that all those teams were winners. And Andy Dalton is a is a winner. I mean, his his makeup, his personality, the way he lives his life. He lives his life as a winner, not a loser. Speaking of winning, what a win 
at the end of a what so far is a one in 14 season really make much of a difference? It would, in my mind, as a, you know, as a former player, particularly after last week's game, to make the comeback they made and not to finish it, you'll never hear about it anymore. It doesn't go in the record book as biggest come from behind to tie and lose in overtime. It's the biggest come from behind victory in franchise history. It's not biggest come from behind to almost win. It just it'll disappear, except for the guys that played in it and you know people that were around to watch it and listen to it and hear about it and everything else. It's it's gonna it, historically, it uh, it won't have a legacy uh, like it would in a record book. So it's not gonna make a record book. So you're you're kind of like you have a you know a weird taste in your mouth that. You did a lot of things well to uh, to turn a game that was lopsided into a game, but you didn't win that game. Um, so I think if you can win a division game and snap that 10-game division losing streak, franchise record's 12 in a row. You're at 10. If you lose this one, you're in danger of tying the record in your first division contest next year. You, you would want to eliminate that. You'd want to get a division win at home. Um, you know, and, and, and end the season on a high note. And it, it is true. The one thing you do remember in the off season, you remember your last game first before anything else. And then you'll start remembering other games. But the last game is your most recent memory. So if you can go out with a win, you know, against a team that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and supposed to be all this and that, and uh, you don't want to be swept two years in a row by the Cleveland Browns. That hasn't happened for a while. So there's a lot of reasons you want to win this football game. And, um, and not to mention the, the most important, building momentum for next year. You asked Zach Taylor a question the other day about his biggest lessons in his first year as the Bengals head coach, and he talked about, we've hired good people, now I have to empower them. Do you think that that's a, a really significant thing for him to have learned? I, I do. You know, I think um, as a CEO, that's, that's probably, uh, I think that was the best trait that Paul Brown had. In my, in my mind, Paul Brown could have been president of the United States, could have been CEO of P&G because he surrounded himself with good the people that he felt could do their job, and then he let them do their job. So, And then if you didn't do the job, he would not hesitate to make a move and replace you. But he hired you with the intent of, I believe in you, you believe in me, I'm going to let you do your job. So I do think that that's a big, a big thing for Zach, um, you know, to, to – think about and, and improve upon and all those sort of things. And for him to mention that as, as a lesson, I think is a very positive thing. Zach and this staff will get to coach the Senior Bowl in a few weeks. How helpful can that be? I think very. You know, I mean, you can, you can watch tape on, on guys and you can, um, you know, see the athletic abilities and everything, but you, you can't see the intangibles, you know, and, and you can hear about them, but sometimes they can be jaundiced one way or the other, depending on, you know, a guy may have rubbed somebody the wrong way at a very high level, and that now all of a sudden, unfairly, so-and-so is labeled as whatever. Uh, now, if it's a consensus opinion, you know, that's the way it is, but um, it, it, there's nothing like getting firsthand evaluation of that stuff and finding out what makes a guy tick and, uh, you know, putting him in situations where you want to see how he's going to respond on the football field, off the football field, whatever those things may be. And, um, you know, you can... You can learn a lot. You can learn a lot about not only the player but the person, and I think that's the big key is um, the player shows up on tape. The person doesn't. So I think, I think getting that, that hands-on um, 
you know, introduction and evaluation of people is huge. The Bengals placed A.J. Green on injured reserve, finally, so he's not on the roster for the final game of the season. What, what in your mind, is the best-case scenario where his future is concerned? Well, that's a good question, Dan. I mean, it's, it, I, guess, I guess that uh, I think his biggest deal right now is adjusting to that 100%. That's a different 100%. So, you know, from from the team's standpoint, you can understand, well, if that's what you're struggling with mentally, we're going to have to see how you do adjust to that. We're going to tag you. And A.J. is not going to like to be tagged. But I, I think it's, you know, he won't even have to dig deep down. I think he's going to understand. He won't like it, but I think he's going to have an understanding of why they're, they're you know, going to be feeling uh, that that's the way they have to approach it. Um, and... You know, I just hope, I just hope that AJ, at, at some point in time, makes his own decisions. You hire agents; they work for you. You don't work for them. So, and and you hire them to do their job, but you still hire them. So ultimately, um, they're they're advisors uh, to you. They're they're consultants to you. They're all those kind of things. But you make the decisions. So I wonder how, as it all unfolds. Uh, the AJ Green that we all know and love. I wonder how how this is going to impact him and uh, the decisions that he makes down the road. If in fact he does get tagged, which I think is probably going to happen. To me, it seems like tagging him and trading him might be more realistic than tagging him and holding on to him for one more year and hoping that he plays well and then re-signing him. I, I don't know. I mean, the Bengals haven't shared their thoughts on that with any of us. But you could see a scenario where he's tagged and, and plays for another year, and, and hopefully that sends everything back in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I, I just keep going back to the thing that the wise old Paul Brown said. You don't trade a guy until you have a guy you know that can do it at least as well or better. And they don't. They don't. So in my mind, I tag them to see if, you know, things can be worked out. Um, uh, you know, who, who knows? It, it, I, I guess you're, you're hoping against hope a little bit. But to trade them when you have nobody on your roster that is close to what he gave you when he was A.J. Green, that's the big thing nobody knows. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what is, what's the new A.J. Green? He doesn't know. He doesn't know what his new 100% is. So if he doesn't know, nobody else knows, that's for sure. So it is, it's a, but even a, even an 85% A.J. Green, pretty damn special because that guy is elite. I mean, he is, he's as smooth and gifted and fluid an athlete as I've ever seen on any sport, really. He, he does his job as effortlessly and easily. He's one of those guys where, oh man, he looks, makes it look so easy and you know it's not, but he is so gifted. He makes it look like rolling out of bed. And it's far from that. It's just the opposite of that. So I don't, I don't necessarily move him unless I have to because I don't have anybody that can give me what he can give me when, when it's A.J. Green. Underrated story of the year. It's week 17. It's game 16. Tyler Eifert will play in every game this year. It is big. And, and I think – and this is something that A.J. Green, I think, has to think about too because um, the Bengals have – Nick Cosgrave is good. He knows what he's doing. And Nick Cosgrave knows A.J. Green's history. He knows his, his body. Look what he did for Tyler Eifert in many, many rehabs. I mean, Tyler Eifert has spent more time with Nick Cosgrave than any family member, friend, or anything. 
So to me, I, I honestly believe that part of your process when you're deciding, like Andrew Whitworth and the Rams full court press on Tyler Eifert. Well, the Rams don't know Tyler Eifert's medical history. The Bengals and Nick Cosgrave do. AJ, to me, that would be a factor. They, they, these guys here in Cincinnati know everything that I've gone through and reasons that it, that it's happened this way. And to turn you back on all of that, I think, is, is, a, is a little bit of a, a tough thing to do. So to me, that's, that's the edge the Bengals do get in, in the tiebreak they do get is that the history between the athlete and, the, and the, the rehab people, the training, all the you know, strength and condition, everything that they were part of, I think is a factor. It would be for me. You know, you go somewhere and, hey, how you doing, so-and-so? You know, here, here's all my medical history. You know, all it is is pictures and all that. It's like uh, the Senior Bowl. The pictures tell you one thing, but you don't know. You haven't dealt with the people like these guys have for years now for Tyler Eifert. And unfortunately, years now for not as many years, but years now for A.J. Green. To me, there's something to that. And um, I don't know how big a factor it would be in A.J.'s uh, decision-making process, but I know it was a factor in in Tyler's uh, decision-making process. You know, he phrased it as the Bengals stood by me in the tough times and they, you know, let me do the rehab and all that and they paid me the whole time. Same thing with A.J. Green. And Tyler Eifert decided to stay. Maybe A.J. Green will look at it similarly to the way Tyler Eifert looked at it. Sometimes for a guy, all it takes is an opportunity. Last week, Darius Phillips wound up getting a lot of snaps because Will Jackson hurt his shoulder. He had an interception and three pass deflections after taking over at cornerback. They liked him, you know, as a cornerback, and they also liked his return skills, and he's shown that right away. Darren Simmons really feels good about him back there returning kicks. At first, he was a little bit unsure about his hands, you know, uh, securing the football, the number one requirement. But, man, he makes plays. Uh, the guy has uh, got a nose for the football. Uh, he reads routes well. He gets his head turned to find the football. He seems to not have issues in that regard. Two interceptions in an abbreviated season. I mean, he hasn't played that many football games, a little bit more than half the season, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he's got more interceptions than any cornerback has on the team. He's got the two interceptions, and Jesse Bates has three. So Darius Phillips, when opportunity knocked, he has taken advantage of his snaps, and one of his, uh, um, you know, interceptions was, was a huge play. I mean, he he uh, he, he took that uh, that sucker back tw- 27 yards, returned f- good field position. So, again, when he gets his hands on the ball, those return skills. You know, in my mind, at some point in time, he was probably a pretty good running back at some level of football because he has great instincts in space. Two teams that have had very disappointing seasons will end the season on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. We know about the Bengals, 1-14. The Browns, a disappointment largely because of the expectations going into the season. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated. They were everybody's it team, it seemed. Well, they're going to finish with a worse record this year than they did last year. They were 7-8-1 last year. They're 6-9 and nine this year with one game to go. Surprising a lot of people, but it just goes to show you that chemistry counts. There's no doubt about that. Um, by all accounts, Nick Chubb is quiet, professional, team-oriented. So I think that it's not an accident that he's got 1,453 rushing yards. He just shuts up and does his job. Over five yards of carry, eight touchdowns. I bet with Baker Mayfield, everybody else not huddle is chirping. Come on, Baker. I want the ball. I want the ball. What, what's going on? You know, Landry, pro bowler, 
81 catches, over 1,000 yards, five touchdowns. Odell Beckham Jr. has been the center of many controversies. You know, Baker Mayfield calling, uh, throwing the training staff under the bus with respect to Baker, uh, with respect to Odell Beckham Jr., an injury that was misdiagnosed and mistreated or whatever. I just think that too many big egos, you know, in, th- in that huddle, I think there's a tug of war for the football. And Baker Mayfield, I think, therefore, feels pressure to distribute the football equally amongst all parties instead of just reading things out and playing football. Bottom line is it's, it's not working. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember in the best team I ever played on in the huddle, we had great players. You know, you, you look, there's Isaac Curtis, there's Kenny Anderson, there's Danny Ross. I mean, there's Chris Collinsworth. When, when it was third and eight, it wasn't like, Kenny, I need the ball. I need, it was like, what play are we going to call? Who, how are we going to get this first down? It wasn't about I, me. It was about we, us. And that's the way it's always going to be with t- teams that have great success. Teams that struggle, it's I, me stuff. Last thing, how was Christmas with the grandkids? <laughs> Phenomenal. Yeah, it was great. You know, they're, uh, they're, they're at the perfect age, the perfect age. And, uh, yeah, so they, met, they, they talked with Santa, and uh, my granddaughter, you know, said, um, El, your, your, uh, your reindeer really don't like cookies, do they? Santa Claus was, no, but I like cookies a lot, so had to be cookies. And then she said, well, what about carrots for the reindeer? And he said, that would be perfect, so. C squared cookies and carrots. Grandpa take a bite out of one of those ca- carrots to make it look realistic. Oh, oh yeah, there were there was there were signs made. Gabby, thanks very much for you know the cookies and carrots. You know, nice. Santa Santa wrote wrote a nice little message, a nice little sign left on the on the fireplace. Yeah, it was all good stuff. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment as we take a closer look at the Cleveland Browns, a team that beat the Bengals twenty-seven to nineteen just three games ago. We're joined by Zach Jackson, who covers the Browns for The Athletic and expects Sunday's game at Paul Brown Stadium to be Freddie Kitchen's final game as Cleveland's head coach. Well, I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. We do this every other year. <laughs> and, um, you know, if we'd have had this conversation, even at Thanksgiving, which isn't that long ago, right? It's Christmas. I just said, no, like, this is just too much too soon for a lot of people. A lot of little things went wrong. Like, they're not going to do this again. The Haslam's have only owned the team for seven years and two months, right? But they're going to do it. Um, Freddie has not helped himself at all. The game mismanagement, the overall presentation is awful. And it's it's just one thing after another. Um, you lost five games by double-digit points. You know, absolutely blown out three times. Um, and then just going back to last Sunday, the sequence, where you just don't have any feel for the situation and you let the Ravens, the hottest team in the league, go from having a miserable half where you've slowed them down and made them struggle like few teams have, taking control of the game and winning it. And that's just the kind of management that gets you beat and it's not something that's going to be fixed. So, yeah, I'll be shocked if Freddie's still the coach next Monday. Okay, as a follow-up to that, there's rumor out there about Urban Meyer. You know, I don't know if Urban Meyer's family would allow him to get back into coaching with his health uh, the way it is and all the issues that go along with that. How about this off the waller? Marvin Lewis completes his a- AFC North in Cleveland. He's coached everywhere else but Cleveland. And when you think about it, part of a successful run in Pittsburgh, 
Won a Super Bowl in Baltimore as defense according to the best defense ever, fewest points allowed in a 16-game stretch. And with Cincinnati, five straight division, uh, five straight playoff appearances, a team record, seven playoffs in 16 years. Would would Marvin Lewis be a potential candidate in Cleveland? Well, I think someone like Marvin would make sense. Um, if Marvin's going to ask guys to be adults, right? You need somebody who's done it before. I mean, this is a pretty appealing job. Now, with the way the quarterback has struggled and, you know, just some of the overall immaturity issues, some of the things you're going to have to tackle here, you know, it's, it's not a, a, a wonderful job. There are huge questions, and especially if, you know, they're firing guys in one year again. But, yeah, um, you know, the Browns have just – they have just not been adults from head coach to player all year long. It's just been one sideshow one distraction, one immature slash embarrassing or all the above thing after the other lap. And it goes back to last year when they finally won some games, but they acted like they'd won 15 of them, you know, and it just, it kind of took off on that train. So, um, you know, I won't be surprised if Marvin gets interviewed. I I don't know, you know, where he is, what he think, or, or, you know, who all is going to be in the pool. Um, As for Urban Meyer, you know, Urban Meyer is a football coach and a darn good one. Would he fit in the NFL? Um, with you know, because some of the things that he was best at and exceptional at in college are just not NFL things. And, and specifically here in Cleveland, I'm not sure Urban Meyer and John Dorsey coexist. You know, just like I'm not sure Josh McDaniels and John Dorsey coexist. Right, so, right. you know, I, I think that kind of limits the pool, assuming there's an opening starting next week. So, in, in your mind, Baker Mayfield's sophomore slump, to put it kindly, is it? because of Baker Mayfield, because of um, too, too many egos for him to appease in terms of wanting the football, there's only one football. Is it Freddie Kitchens? Is it a combination of everything? Why is Baker Mayfield having the sophomore season he's having? Yeah, it, a combination is the answer. He certainly takes and deserves some of the blame. Um, there's just been no flow to the offense. You know, um, routes to get to get Baker going. Um, you know, Nick Chubb's going to win the rushing title and might lead in attempts, but it still feels like they never really stuck to that. And Baker's a really good play action and RPO quarterback, but they're just the whole year long, every drive, every quarter kind of felt disjointed. It never felt like the Browns said, okay, this is what we're going to do, and this is what we're good at. And if and when teams stop it or adjust to it, then, then we strike at them. But going back to training camp, I'm telling you guys, Baker threw some of the most beautiful deep passes hmm. that I had seen. And I just thought, you know, once this offense does figure out a few things, they're going to attack. But there has been no vertical passing game. I mean, he's sitting at six yards per attempt underneath it, I believe. And and it, that just doesn't get it done. So I'm not totally writing him off because even in a small sample size, we have seen it. And we know that the reason the Browns picked him and believed in him is because of his accuracy. And accuracy, to me, is king you know, in, in today's NFL, but he has not been accurate. He has not played with his normal level of confidence. And as much as anything else, just, and this goes to the accuracy, you know, just the six and eight yard passes that are in the right place gives the guy the chance to get more yardage, let alone a lot more yardage, right? We know Jarvis and Odell are the kind of guys that can take that 10 yard pass and turn it into 30 or 90. Well, we've seen the number of times we've seen it all year long. You can really count on one hand. We are visiting with Zach Jackson. He covers the Browns for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Akron 
Jackson. The Browns have had a lot of head-scratching things happen this year from the Miles Garrett helmet-swinging incident to the uh, guy that got cut after death threats on Twitter. (laughs) Explain this one to me, Zach. Last week, in their loss to the Ravens, Sheldon Richardson gets a 15-yard penalty during an injury timeout because he refused to leave the opponent's sideline when the (laughs) officials told him to? Is that accurate? The the six-win Cleveland Browns got two 15-yard penalties on Odell taunting after a routine catch and run, and one for, yes, refusing to leave an area during an injury timeout. They got (laughs) – the Browns used the timeout on fourth down before ultimately deciding to punt early in the game. And then late in the game, yes, we're assessed the 15-yard penalty during an injury timeout. It's the story of the year. You can't make it up. So, Freddie got himself in a little pinch with the Pittsburgh started at sweater. Do you think he'll come to Cincinnati in a good Christmas sweater, or what do you think he's going to wear on the back? <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's, we laugh because it's, it's been that all, all along. I mean, this team is all on Instagram um, with how they dress and their accessories, their headphones and their watches and all these things. And then he wears that T-shirt. Oh. You know, I just laugh when we talked about it on the podcast, like, the Ravens are in this historic win streak, and Lamar spotted in a T-shirt that says "Nobody cares, work harder." Right? The Browns are the disappointment of the league, and Freddie spotted at the movie theater wearing a Pittsburgh started a T-shirt. <laughs> like, what's the difference in organizations? Well, let's start there. Right. 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 <laughs> Is the overwhelming feeling this year in Cleveland of opportunity lost? I mean, the Steelers lose Roethlisberger at the beginning of the season. The Bengals are in rebuild mode this year. There's obviously a lot of talent on the Browns, maybe not as much as people thought, but is that the vibe that they had a great opportunity and just botched it? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. I mean, they have arguably the win of the year. They beat the Ravens by 15 points, you know, in Baltimore. The Ravens fans left that game with eight minutes left. I don't care what the final score is. Yeah, yeah. Um, And you're right. Like, that is one of the things is we kind of do the autopsy is was there as much talent? But no doubt it's opportunity lost because the Steelers lost for Roethlisberger. Um, even, you know, going back three weeks to the second Browns-Steelers, if the Browns just win that game, then they're in the wild card hunt, and they lose to Doug Hodges, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, they just, like I said, they just never established that flow. And even when they started to play better in mid-October, through mid-November, which is when good teams get good, and that's fine. You Lots of teams historically have erased slow or puzzling starts, right? They just never could get to that next step offensively. And, and I'll tell you this, even going back, and I mentioned this earlier, to the summer when I thought I saw this coming a little bit. I didn't like the vibe. I didn't like the immaturity. I didn't like all that stuff. I just thought, well, they're going to have enough offense that they're going to be able to steal a game or two along the way, right. and then eventually they'll figure it out. But they haven't. You know, they have not – the Ravens have not lost since the Browns beat them in their stadium that day, and the Browns haven't won a road game since. And it's just – that's what a mature team does is you just go on the road and win. And they lost to Brandon Allen in Denver, who was making his first NFL start, and they lost to Duck Hodges in Pittsburgh. And we all know Duck Hodges is an undrafted rookie. So watching tape, getting ready for the first matchup with Cleveland, I thought Baker Mayfield – like, I, I think your point about – never established an identity is right on because to me it was like okay well I got the ball to Landry I better get it to Beckham because he's going to be he's going to be 
pissed if I don't. Mm-hmm. Chubb, I get, yeah. oh, I better get it to Hunt, too. It's like instead of just reading out plays and playing offense, he's like trying to, you know, be the, the you know, the – the, the bargainer and, and divide a football four ways when there's only one football. It's like he seemed to be almost hindered by, you know, too many, too many guys to try to get the football to. Is there anything to that? Yeah, I think a little bit, but I just think it's missed opportunities. You know, um, the first three weeks the hunt came back, they were averaging seven yards of play with those two uh, on the field together. Right. You know, because teams just don't see it anymore. And then teams adjusted. And the story is they got too cute. They're playing them together because almost like they know that. But then they're splitting them out. Like Nick Chubb is one of the three most gifted running backs in the league. What good is he doing over there standing next to the Ravens sideline in a five-wide formation? Right. He's doing you no good. Right. Put him in the backfield and give him the ball. Um, you know, David Njoku, who is not a promising guy, but is a first-round player and is a player that needed to develop. He's had a completely lost season. He had the injuries, and now he's been a healthy scratch. Rashard Higgins, who is not – physically gifted receiver, but it is a really crafty one. With Baker Mayfield, that they really developed in Baker's first training camp. has fallen totally out of the rotation. He refused to go in a game. Um, he played. He caught the winning touchdown when they beat Buffalo, which is obviously a good win. But he has not even played more than five offensive snaps since then. So it's just, when I say disjointed lap, I'm actually not doing it justice. It's what you said with where the ball goes. It's what you said with where the ball is supposed to go. It's who's on the field. It's who's not on the field. It's just everything, and it's just been maddening. And so, yeah, you just it comes back to the overall theme of this is a lost year because even if they would have just been a little bit better offensively and established a couple of things, then they could be playing for the playoffs now, and they'd be the type of team with those two running backs that could really play with just about anybody in January. But instead, it's just been off-the-field disasters and more disappointments and probably another coaching search. My final question for Zach Jackson, who covers the Browns for The Athletic, who and who earlier in this interview said he would not be surprised if Marvin Lewis got an interview to be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Yes. Do I remember correctly, Zach, that you are on the Josh McDaniels bandwagon? Is that Would that be your first guy to talk to? Well, yeah, I just think because he definitely likes Baker. I mean, Baker's on the record saying that he thought he would be drafted by the Patriots, not the Browns. Um, Josh is a Northeast Ohio native right? and Josh has been a head coach before and he knows he's only getting one more chance. And I just think that checks a lot of boxes. I mean, of all this Odell, say or go, you know, what happens with these two running backs who are a year or two up from their contracts? You know, what is Miles Garrett's future? All this uncertainty, Baker's going to be here, right? You just drafted him number one two years ago. You need him to be good or you're going to be screwed again. So I just think that guy, as I look at the list, is the one that I would sit down with, try to hammer out whatever differences, try to figure out you know, where he is and what he thinks about this team and see if you could make it work because I think he would come in with an all-weather offense with an understanding of what it takes to help quarterback get to the next level and um, you know, really probably also instill some discipline in a team that for much of the year led the league in penalties by a wide margin. They've cleaned that up a little bit. But then we were just laughing about the 15-yarder during the injury timeout. We laugh because we don't want to cry here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, with uh, with Baker Mayfield, I mean, I know I know the the personality, the 
you know, uh, the big personnel that fills a room is an attraction to Baker Mayfield. But when he threw the, the training staff under the bus, you know, with Beckham and saying a little bit too much, obviously, Josh McDaniel is used to Tom Brady, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and, and do you think Josh McDaniel or whoever the next head coach is, is going to sit down with Baker Mayfield and say, Hey, bro, how about editing? How about a little zipper action? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I think it's all cute. And Baker's a wonderful story, right, of always being doubted. And it's all great when it's going well. Well, this is the first time since Texas Tech that he's faced any adversity, and it's all not so cute. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think he needs to grow up. I think organizationally they need to grow up, and we'll see. I mean, this is about Baker Mayfield. This is about in 2020. Baker Mayfield being better and Baker Mayfield being the right guy because that gives whoever the coach is and whoever the other guys are, who as we all know in this league are very dispensable and there will be tons of turnover. Baker's got to be the guy for the Browns to eventually, you know, get to where they're playing this game to get to January and playing in January rather than having a coaching search every January. Our thanks to Zach Jackson and that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. Those five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.